Okay, okay, we're going to get to the podcast in just one minute. But imagine I gave you the opportunity to invest in Microsoft, in Apple, in Tesla at its infancy. And now you made all this profit and it would be unbelievable. You'd be so thankful and so grateful. I believe that that day is today for Torch. Because for the next 36 hours, every donation you contribute at givetorch.net is doubled by our generous matchers, and you can come in at the ground floor. Yes, last year, over 1 million people enjoyed our podcasts. You as well, I hope. And I believe we can get to 10 million this year, but we need your help. It's only one day a year that we ask. We need your contribution. We need your partnership. We love your partnership and your friendship. Please contribute at givetorch.net, givetorch.net. Every dollar is matched. I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. It is so wonderful to be here. It is awesome. Erev Shabbos. Before Shabbos today is the first Shabbos this summer of a longer Friday. And don't get persuaded by the Yetzirah who'll tell you, ah, it's okay, we've got so much time till Shabbos, because before you know it, boom, Shabbos is here. So my dear friends, let's take every second we have and prepare early, get ready early. As my great-grandfather would say, Zahavas, my wife's great-grandfather, he would say, you wait for Shabbos, don't let Shabbos wait for you. And I think it's a very, very important message for all of us. Okay, we're holding, we're going to continue in the Talmud that we were studying. The Gemara teaches that there is a requirement to repeat the Shema at bedtime. So we recite the Shema every morning. We recite the Shema every evening. And then our sages teach us that it is important for us to always remember to repeat Shema again at bedtime. And we're going to see the source for that. Amr Rabbi Shoban Levi, Rabbi Shoban Levi said, Even though a person recited the Shema in the synagogue during the evening prayers, there is a mitzvah to recite it again at one's bedside before going to sleep. Now the Talmud continues, and the scriptural source for this, what is that? Amr Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi said, What is the verse that reflects this ruling? Tremble and sin not. Reflect in your hearts while on your beds and be utterly silent, Selah. What is that explanation? Says the Talmud, one who recited the Shema during the Marev service after nightfall, he has already fulfilled his biblical obligation to recite the Shema at night. In such a case, it suffices to recite merely the first paragraph, right, from Shema until Uvi Sha'arecha at his bedside. However, if Meirev was held before nightfall, then he must repeat all three paragraphs of the Shema, including Vahayam Shamoa and Vayomer, at his bedside. It is recommended, though, to also repeat all three paragraphs because they contain the 248 words the Shema contains 248 words whose recital is effective in providing protection to the 248 limbs and organs of a person's body. 
So, therefore, if a person says the Shema again, when he goes, it's an extra protection that he has for all of his limbs and organs. So, because it says, reflect on your hearts while on your beds, that's a, that's a proof, and that verse is from Psalms chapter 4, verse 5. That is a proof that we should recite the Shema again once we're in bed. The ruling is qualified. Amr Rab Nachman, Rab Nachman said, now we're on the top of 5a in Tractate Brachot. Im if one is a Torah scholar, he does not need to repeat the Shema before going to sleep. And the reason for that, since a Torah scholar is always reviewing what he has learned, the Torah thoughts which constantly occupy his mind suffice to protect him, and he doesn't need the Shema as a protector. From Rashi, it seems that according to this opinion, a scholar does not need to recite even a single verse in contrast to the view that follows. Unfortunately, the caliber of Torah scholars in our era, in our generation, is such that no scholar can claim that his mind is constantly occupied with Torah thoughts. Thus, the leniency taught here regarding Torah scholars is not applicable nowadays. Okay. So now, a different opinion regarding Torah scholars, Amar Abaye, Abaye says, Even a Torah scholar must recite at least one verse that makes mention of God's mercy before going to sleep, Kagon, like the verse, For example, in your hand I entrust my spirit, you redeem me, Hashem, you redeemed me, Hashem, God of truth. And that's from Psalms 31, verse 6. So here we see that at least one verse of mercy should be recited at bedtime. So let's just stop for a second and think. What is really going on here? A person's going to sleep. It's important when a person goes to sleep to not just sleep. We don't just go to sleep. The idea of going to sleep is that we are refreshing our souls, our body, from a full day of serving Hashem. What's if we didn't fully serve Hashem that day? We need Hashem's mercy. Ah, so now what are we doing? We're saying, Hashem, please have mercy on this body, this soul, that perhaps wasn't fully committed and dedicated in the service of Hashem. Now, if someone was, then they don't need to recite Tashma because they're a Torah scholar who's completely immersed in Hashem's oneness in his Torah. But if someone isn't, like Rashi says here, that today we may not be at that level, most likely aren't. So then what do we do? We need Hashem's mercy. So the best thing is for a person to recite the entire Shema, all 248 words of the Shema. Now, if you look in the Shema, you count all the words, it'll only be 245. So when we're davening with the minion, the Chazan repeats Hashem Elokechem Emes, which is three words, Hashem Elokechem Emes, and that makes it 248. But if you're not davening with the minion, then you recite the three words prior to the Shema, which is Kel Melech Ne'eman. Those three words are recited when we're not davening with the minion, and we don't have a leader of the prayer service. The Chazan is not there to recite the last three words again for us. So then those three words at the beginning of the Shema, right prior to saying the Shema Yisrael, are sufficient to add the three words, and then you have the... 248 words to be a protector for our body, uh, our body's organs and 
the acronym of those three. The first yeah. letters of each is Kael Melech Naaman, but they're actually three words. Shouldn't be just be abbreviated with the Amen. If you open up the the, sit, the sitter and you see it says over here Shema, so right over here the first three letter three words right before you recite Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad is Kael Melech Naaman. The count begins by Shema, and then all the way till the end of Hashem, the third paragraph is where you will have up to 245 words. Adding these three will be 248. So at all times, when you're traveling on the way, don't be busy just listening to your country music or whatever it is, but think about your connection with Hashem, learn His Torah. The learning of Torah shouldn't only be when we're sitting here at the Torch Center. Learning of the Torah should be when we're traveling. So you're on a plane? Yeah, open up a book and learn. When you're sitting at home by your kitchen table, open up a book and learn. The idea is that Torah shouldn't just be something we do in the study hall, but something that we take along with us everywhere we go. So that's what the, the Shema is telling us. When you lay down, think of words of Torah. But if we can't think of words of Torah, what is it referring to? It's referring to the Shema. And the Shema is words of Torah. So therefore, we fulfill that commandment in the Shema by reciting the Shema. Well, that is Torah. That is Torah too. That's written in the Torah. That is Deuteronomy. So that is Torah. So it's referring to that too. It could also be the Shema, which is also part of Torah. It could also be, correct, the entire Torah. Any word of Torah is part of Torah and therefore should all be included in our bedtime ritual of making ourselves holy, not only when we are sitting here at the Torch Center and studying with the Torch rabbis and learning Torah, but wherever we are, whether it be when we're going to sleep, when it be when we're traveling, when we be when we're sitting at our kitchen table, and whether it be sitting in our car waiting in traffic patiently or hanging out with the rabbi. Exactly. All right, now the Talmud continues. The Gemara suggests four strategies to refrain from sinning. Based on the verse cited above, tremble and sin not. Reflect in your hearts while on your beds and be utterly silent. Selah. Amar Rabbi Levi Barachama, Amar Rabbi Shimon Lakish. Rabbi Levi Barachama said in the name of Rabbi Shimon Lakish, La'olam Yargiz Adam Yetzer Tov Al Yetzer A person should constantly agitate his good inclination to fight against his evil inclination. Always use your good inclination to fight against your evil inclination. Generally, when an, oppon- uh, an opponent has been defeated, the battle ends. However, in one's battle against the evil inclination, even if it appears to be defeated, one should remain on guard because it is liable to raise its head again. This is the import of the word le'olam, constantly or forever. One must constantly be on alert against his evil inclination. As the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, in Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter 2, Mishnah 4, states... Do not be sure of yourself until the day of your death. Why? Because the Yetzirah is always coming back to get us. He's always coming back. So you got to be careful. So the verse states, Shinemar, as it is stated, Tremble, be agitated, and sin not. If you vanquished it, fine. 
But if not, he should engage in Torah study. So if you are able to overcome your Yetzahara, great. If not, go to the study hall and study Torah. Shenemar, as it is stated in the verse, Imru Bilvavchan reflect in your hearts. Im Nitzcho Mutav, again, if you vanquish them, fine. Vim Lav, Yekra So number one, if a person is overcome with a desire for sin, oh, can't control himself. So let's pick an example. A person wants to go eat shrimp. The Torah says not to eat that, it's a sin. You're not a Jew is not allowed to eat that. So what do you do? I, I I just want to eat that. You're overcome with desire and temptation. You know what you do? Study Torah. If that didn't work, what should you do? Recite the Shema. Study Torah again. So you're writing this down first. To study Torah number two is recite the Kriyashma. Shenemar as it states al mishkavchem on your beds ve'im Now if you beat him, great. You beat your Yetzahara, you're not tempted anymore, great. What's if he didn't? He should remind himself of the day of death. Shinemar, as it is stated, at the end of the verse, and be utterly silent. Sela, when are we going to be utterly silent? When we're dead. That's when we have a flat, a flat note and there's just nothing left, right? That's when it's Vidomusela. We have no more. So the Gemara is giving us a tool here how to overcome all sin. Number one, go learn Torah. Number two, if that doesn't help, recite the Shema. If that doesn't help, then what do you do? Remember your day of death. Why? Because there's a day of accountability. If a person remembers that they're going to be held accountable for everything that they do, once we depart from this world, we're held accountable. It's a pretty serious time. It's a pretty serious advent. We're going to be responsible for everything that every choice that we made. And therefore, a person needs to slow down from their sin. A person will hopefully be brought, be brought to, a, to their senses with those three. Now, there's another Gemara, I believe, that says that the first thing you should do is Moshcheo Lebeis is drag him to the study hall. By reminding himself that upon his death, he must face the heavenly court and give an account for all his actions, he will surely refrain from sinning. This last strategy of reflecting on death has a detrimental side effect. It can lead to sadness and depression. The Gemara therefore suggests this course only as a last resort. If a person's always busy thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to die, oh yeah, I'm going to die, you can't have happiness like that. So a person needs to use that as a last resort to ensure that that's not the way they're living their life every minute, but to use that as, as if all else fails. Another teaching from Levi Barchama in the name of Reb Shimon ben Lakish. Reb Levi Barchama, Reb Shimon Lakish. Reb Levi Barchama said in the name of Reb Shimon ben Lakish, what is the meaning of that which is written? So this is the Gemara that we mentioned last week. We're going to learn this and then move on further. I shall give you the tablets of stone, the Torah, and the commandments, which I have written to teach them. The verse is interpreted phrase by phrase. Luchos, that's the tablets, the Ten Commandments. 
Torah, what does Torah mean? Zemikra, that's the scripture, the five books of Moses. V'hamitzvah and the commandment. Zo Mishnah, that is the Mishnah. The six orders of the Mishnah, Asher Kosafti, that I've written. Elunavim Aksuvim, those are the prophets in the writings. Lehoro Sam, to teach them. Zegemara, this refers to the Talmud. And this teaches us that everything was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. What does that mean? What does that mean that everything was given to us at Mount Sinai? That we think, someone might think, that the Torah was given to us at Mount Sinai, perhaps. Some, some people have that doubt. Uh, because You know why they have that doubt. Why do people have that doubt? Because they don't want to follow it. Ah, oh, if it tells me what to do, then let me just throw out the book and then I don't have to follow it. And and a lot of what science is today is a way to disprove God. If we're able to prove that God isn't here, then anything is possible and then we're not obligated to his commandments. I want to just mention something that without mentioning who said this, but someone yesterday after class, two people said that uh, the reason why the Talmud may be different than NASA is because there's a sh- because we mentioned yesterday in class in the Jewish Inspiration podcast about the short and sweet segment on the Parsha Sachodesh, which is available now on all of your podcast platforms. Please go listen to it. We talked about how the Torah tells us exactly the shortest amount of time that the new moon uh, comes comes back, revolves around the earth. And it's 0.2 milliseconds different than what NASA has come up with, 0.1 milliseconds different from what the German Space Agency has come up with. And the suggestion that was presented that perhaps it's a little bit different than what the Talmud said because over time the movement of the moon is perhaps shortened because of the um, because of the condensing of the Earth or the Moon, so I didn't want to say anything then, but I will say it here now. That is total heresy. That is against the Torah in every level. Why? Because the Torah isn't up for change. The Torah isn't a recommendation or a suggestion of time. When the Torah, Talmud tells us that. This is the amount of time. That is the amount of time. NASA's not correct. NASA's wrong because they don't have the perfection of God. The Torah does have the perfection of God. And therefore, when the Torah gives an exact number, that is the exact number. NASA is very close, but not perfect. The German space agency is close, but not perfect. God is the only thing that is perfect. And therefore, they're wrong, and the Talmud is right. And heaven forbid for us to suggest otherwise. So, again, without mentioning names, I want to be sensitive to all those who are present. But I think it's very important for us to realize that the Talmud does not make mistakes. Why? Because the Talmud is a God-given document too. Although it was later written by Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, Judah the Prince, it was written based on all of the teachings given by Moshe and Aaron and the elders and the prophets and the, and the and the men of the great assembly and everyone all the way leading down and coordinated and beautifully composed in what we have as the Talmud today in a discussion form in a way that's intriguing and interesting but not one that's up for error 
because it's a godly document just like the Torah is, just like the Mishnah, just like the prophets and the writings, and just like the five books of the Torah, and just like the Ten Commandments are accurate, the Talmud is no less accurate. And therefore, it's important for us to make sure that we remember what the correct way is versus what is the suggestions from NASA or the German Space Agency. So I, I, I appreciate your, your question here about flavoring it. Yes, unless it's talking about fundamental principles of our belief in Hashem and His truth. When If someone comes here and says, well, um, I don't believe that Hashem's Torah is real. That's not an issue that we can be sugarcoating. That's a very fundamental belief in Hashem and His Torah. It's not a fight. It's a fact. Okay, so it's a fact. That's fine. So we, we no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not judging anyone. And I'm not. I'm not. I'm not attempting to criticize anyone here. I'm just trying to declare what is truth. That's it. I'm not. I'm not here to fight anyone and tell anyone. Oh, you're you're a heretic. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that those words that were used was her- heresy, because the Torah is not wrong. The Torah is not wrong. And the Talmud is not wrong. The Talmud gives you an exact, and if you want, I can pull up the Talmud and we can study it inside. I'll be happy to do that. If you want to have the look. One second, I'll pull the Talmud and we'll learn it inside together. Tractate Rosh Hashanah A. A, number one. It, so it can be longer, it can't be shorter. It says that's the, that's the shortest amount of time of the revolution. That's what the Talmud says. That is the shortest amount of time. Talmud very specifically says, this is the shortest revolution. I'll read it to you again. I'll read it to you inside. Okay. Rabbi Gamliel said to them, This is the tradition that I received from the house of my father's father. The monthly cycle of the renewal of the moon takes no less than 29 and a half days plus two-thirds of an hour plus 73 of 1,080 subsections of an hour. No less than that. More can be. Of course it could be more. We know that we have some months that are... But not less. Okay? How accurate is the Talmud? Ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Talmud, tractate. Rosh Hashanah, 25A, sold to the highest bidder. There we go. All right, so we're, we're going to pull that Talmud. He's going to get it, and we're going we're gonna to learn through it and see some of the commentaries on it as well. It's very, very important. Okay, so now, so what, what are we saying here in our Talmud here in Brachos? We started on 4B, and now we're on 5A. And the Talmud says that a person needs to use protective measures to ensure that they don't fall into sin. If a person is tempted, thank you so much. We're in the middle of the Talmud here. So let's just go back to the Talmud. The Gemara returns to the topic of the bedtime Shema now. Amar Rebbe Yitzchak, Rebbe Yitzchak said, Kol HaKore Kriya Shema Al Mitaso, whoever recites the Shema at his bedside before going to sleep, 
כאילו אוכס חרף של שתי פיוס בידו. is considered as though he holds a double-edged sword in his hand to ward off the forces of evil. Just reciting the Shema in the evening has the power like a double-edged sword to ward off the forces of evil. Shenemer, as it says, Romomos el begronom v'cherif hippios v'yodam. The lofty praises of God are in their throats and a double-edged sword is in their hand. Commentary says over here, the recital of the Shema is efficacious in protecting one's body from mazikim, from demons, and one's soul from the evil inclination. Thus, Shema is compared to a double-edged sword because both of those, the soul and the body, are being protected with the recitation of Shema. The Gemara asks, my mashma, what indicates that this verse refers to the bedtime Shema? How do you know that if you recite the Shema, then you have this protection? Maybe it's something else. And this is the way we would ask, what do you mean? You're just bringing me a verse. How do you know that that's referring to Shema? Right? Let's critical thinking here. Like, why, why just because you bring me a verse, does that mean that, oh, if you recite the Shema, that's what it's referring to? The Gemara answers, Oma Marzutra v'yitema Rav Ashi. Marzutra, and some say, it was actually Rav Ashi who says this. This is inferred from the beginning of the topic, the Ksiv, for it was written in the previous verse, Let the devout exult in glory. Let them sing joyously upon their beds. And immediately after that, that verse, it is written, The lofty praises of God are in their throats and the double-edged sword is in their hands. So we see from here that only once they had the recitation of the Shema in their beds is when they got to protect themselves with a double-edged sword against their physical and their spiritual demons and evil inclination. Another teaching from Rabbi Yitzchak concerning the Betam Shema. Ve'omer Rabbi Yitzchak, and Rabbi Yitzchak said, Kol mitoso. Regarding anyone who recites the Shema at his bedside, at his bedside, after going to sleep, mazikim b'delen himeno, demons keep away from him. Shenemar, as it is stated, uvnei reshef yagbiu of, and the spirits, reshef, soar in flight, they're of. Derivation is explained, ve'ein of el Torah, and the word of is interpreted here as referring only to Torah. Shenemar, as it is stated elsewhere, that of is associated with Torah. Hasoif einecho bo ve'einenu. You close, hasoif, your eyes, to it. To what? To the Torah. And it is gone. Ve'ein reshef el mazikin, shenemar, mzeirav, uluchumi reshef, ve'ketef miriri. Bloating of famine, battles of reshef, and ketef miriri. So what this is telling us here is that the the uh, forces of evil have no control over someone who recites the Shema. I want to tell you an amazing thing. It was a story that I heard recently. Again, I don't have the the evidence to this, um, but I heard this from someone who heard it from the person it happened to. So I'm I'm taking on good faith that it's a true story. But there was a story. I believe this was in South America, where a young Jewish woman was walking, and she sees behind her, you know, in her peripheral vision, there is someone walking with a knife in his hand. And she was terrified, so she said, B'Shem Hashem Elokei Yisrael. In the name of Hashem, God of Israel, 
Mimini Michal, to my right is Michal, is Michael, the angel. Mismoli Gabriel, Gabriel is on my left. Lefanai Uriel, Ahorai Raphael, and all the four angels. And she's saying this, she's like so terrified. And this individual just walks away and is gone. So it disappears. The next day, she sees in the news that this face that she saw was accused of doing terrible things to attacking women, doing terrible things to these women, and some of them even killing. So she said she needs to go talk to this guy. So she goes to the prison, and she said, you saw me, why didn't you attack me? And he said, what do you mean? (laughs) You had four security guards around you. You had four security guards around you. So what are you talking about? She was saying that verse that to my right is Michal, to the left is Gavriel, Mofanai Uriel, and Meachorai Raphael. Those are the four angels that came to protect her from this attack, which is unbelievably powerful. It's very, very important for us to remember that there are forces of evil in this world and there are forces of protection in this world. And we need to, we need to pull at them. Hashem is telling us here through the Talmud that we have a protection in the Shema. When someone recites the Shema, there is a protection that comes our way. And a person needs to exercise that power at every moment that we can to bring them into our lives, to be a constant protector, to remove us from sin and to take away any type of temptation. That is a, that is a verse we recited every evening in the Shema. So if you look at the evening Shema, it doesn't say a source. In the name of Hashem, God's angels surround you at his command. Michael performing his unique miracles. Gabriel, the emissary of his mighty power. Uriel, who bears the light of God before you. Raphael, who brings you healing from Hashem. Above your head is the presence of God himself. And I think this might be, it doesn't say the source for it. And it has a source for all the other ones. For Yevarechacha, we know, is in Numbers. We know Hine lo yonum lo yishon is in Psalms. And L'chushuascha kivisi Hashem is in Genesis. But this part does not have a biblical source for it. Either way, not, not in the sitter here. But we also say, the, the verse that we brought earlier of Rigzuv al-Techato from Psalms 4-5, uh, tremble and sin not, this verse exhorts Israel to tremble so greatly at the thought of sin that the very idea of transgression becomes disturbing and traumatic for a person. All right. Either way, the beautiful, beautiful prayers to protect us in the evening that the Talmud here urges us to harness and to use as a weapon. Okay. So now the Gemara cites a different interpretation of this verse and the spirits soar in flight. What is that? Reb Shim ben Lakish. Reb Shim ben Lakish said, regarding anyone who engages in Torah study, afflictions keep away from him. So anyone who engages in Torah study, afflictions keep away from him. Shinamra, as it states, the spirits soar in flight, the Torah, and the word of 
is interpreted here as referring only to the Torah Shenemar, as we say in the verse, Hasoif Einecho Bo Veinenu. You close your eyes to it, to the Torah, and it is gone. Ve'ein Reshef al Yisurin. And the word Reshef is interpreted here as referring only to afflictions. Shenemra, Mizei Ra'av, Luchume Reshef, bloating of famine, battles of Reshef. And because we see that it's referring to uh, a different translation elsewhere, so therefore the Talmud says we can also use it to Torah study as being a protector. The Gemara asks why the preceding exposition is needed to teach that Torah protects one from suffering. Amalir of Yochan or Yochanan said to Rab Shimon Belakish, Ha Afilutinokas Shabar base Rabban Yodinoso. But even school children, the little children know know from Exodus twenty-eight, where it says, Vahayoim Shemuatishma, Lakola Shemalokecha, if you diligently listen to the voice of Hashem your God, Vahayoshabain of Tase, and do what is just in his eyes, Vazantala Mitzvosov Shamartas Chukov, we call Chukov. Give ear to his commandments and observe all of his decrees. Then all of the diseases that I've placed on Egypt, I will not bring upon you. Because I am Hashem, your healer. So all school children know this. Why do you need to tell me from some obscure verse out in Job that the Torah is a protector from all, sin, from all illness? The Torah itself says it in Exodus. And every school child knows that. Rabbi Yochanan answers by teaching a point about Torah study that cannot be derived from the preceding verse. Rather, regarding anyone who has the opportunity to engage in Torah study, but does not study. The Holy One, blessed is He, brings upon Him repulsive afflictions to make Him repulsive. Shenemer, as it is stated, Ne'elamti dumiyo hechashesi mituv uche'eve ne'ekar. I became mute with stillness. I, will si- I was silent from the good, from tov, and my pain became repulsive. Ain't tov al Torah. We know that there's no tov but Torah. What does tov mean? Tov means good. There's no goodness but Torah. Why? Because we have another verse that proves that. Ki lekach tov no sati lochem. Torasi al tazovu. For I have given you tov. What is tov? My Torah, my doctrine. Do not abandon my Torah. So from here we see that someone who learns Torah is protected. Someone who is able to learn Torah but doesn't can bring upon themselves terrible pain and affliction. Hashem should protect us all from all pain, from all affliction. Hashem should take away any illness that anyone has in the merit of our Torah study, in in the merit of the learning, of the connection that we have to Hashem through His Torah and through His mitzvahs. Hashem should protect us and heal us from all illness. Now let's learn the Torah from Rosh Hashanah that our dear friend here brought us. Thank you so much. Ah, how beautiful. 25a, and now the Talmud says here, I'm Rabbi Gamaliel. Rabbi Gamaliel said to them, Kach mikublani mi beis aviyaba. Again, to those of you who are just tuning in, previously we mentioned in a Jewish Inspiration short and sweet, Jewish Inspiration podcast, short and sweet segment about Parsha Sachodesh, we brought the Talmud that states that Rabbi Gamaliel said, very casually, 
that he heard from his father's house, who heard from his father's house, and our sages tell us that that always refers to all the way receiving it from Moses at Mount Sinai, that ain't chidushas levana prusa, that the rebirth of the moon is not less, me'esrim v'tisha yom v'mechza, than 29 and a half days, u'shnei shlish sha'a, shlish sha'a, v'shivim u'shlosha chalakim, than two-thirds of an hour and 73 chalakim from the previous revolution. And this span of time had not yet elapsed since the previous molad, so the likeliness that had been seen on the 29th could not have been a new moon. Gamaliel says, not less than, because that is what is essentially for his purposes here. In truth, though, it means not less and not more. That's interesting, right? And not more. One second. See, he says over here, one second. Actually, 29 and 12 hours and 793 is but the mean the average duration of the lunar period, but it can actually be longer or shorter, says the Rambam. Apparently then, Rabbi Gamliel used 29 and 12 hours and 793 portions of an hour merely as an approximate duration of the lunar cycle. And what he meant was that even making allowance for the shortest possible lunar cycle which is somewhat shorter than 29 and 12 hours and 793 portions of an hour. Not enough time had elapsed since the the previous molad for the likeness that had been seen to have been the new moon. So meaning to be able to detect it less than that amount of time is impossible, but it's possible that it was there but not detectable. Of course, it's hard to see this first liver, but that's exactly why they would come to Besdin. They would come to the court, and the court would question them and say, what exactly did you see? What did it look like? What was that crescent? And it was many questions you can see further in the Talmud um, of Rosh Hashanah and other areas in Talmud where it discusses specifically uh, what other areas were, um, what other questions were asked um, to verify that it was authentically a new moon, and not just someone just saying something. Also, what would happen was, and I was actually there on my last trip, not this recent trip, uh, to Israel, we actually went to the mountain. We saw the mountain that they would stand on the top of to wave the burning uh, palms or to, to, to give sign to the next mountain. It's very, very high up. It's interesting how they even get so high. Um, they'd have to climb up there. It was really, really phenomenal. Either way, my dear friends, we're a little bit over time. I know we started a little bit late, but I want to thank you all for your being here today. And to all of our friends listening to our podcast, thank you so much. Please like, listen, and share these, these podcasts. And if you can, leave a good feedback because that will help the algorithms help us reach more people so more people can study Talmud with us and as well, our other podcasts. So my dear friends, have a great Shabbos. Thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to continuing our study after Shabbos.